the Thinkers 50 ranking as 10 criteria split across two dimensions or, or axes. The first one, viability, which is made up of rigor, relevance, reach, and resilience. And the second axis is visibility, influence, media profile, presence, affiliations, community, and tools and techniques. So something like influence is measured by the number of citations and how people fare in in social media. Actually, since we've been doing the the ranking over the last 20 years, it's actually become a a lot easier to come up with a methodology and develop methodology for for ranking people. And it is really interesting because often there's a gulf between, say, somebody might have academic credibility, but not credibility among practitioners. Hi there, this is David Knorr. Welcome to the third season of the Curvebenders podcast. I'm so excited after years of research and interviews and due diligence on this topic to finally be able to publish Curvebenders this year. It'll be my 11th book as a follow-on to Relationship Economics and Co-Create. Curvebenders, in essence, are your strategic relationships that enable your non-linear growth in the future. Our research points to 15 forces that we believe will dramatically impact the future of how you'll work, how you'll live, how you'll play, and how you'll give. The global pandemic is just one example. So how will you remain relevant if more disruption will come at us more often with potentially far greater impact? In each episode, I want to share with you insights, great ideas from guests I've invited to join us, as well as practical ideas in the evolution of your skills, your knowledge, your behaviors, and most importantly, what I believe is your biggest asset, which is your portfolio of relationships. I call those relationships your curve benders. So let's get started. Hi, everybody. Nor here. Just a quick heads up that we're constantly updating our new website, norgroup.com, with new blog posts, podcast episodes like this one, links to my Forbes and Inc. articles, and a new intimate community called the Nor Forum. It's a place where like-minded professionals are gathering to learn, share, and grow through insights about strategic relationships, visual storytelling, and nonlinear growth. This is also where you find articles, poll questions, and some great discussions. For example, earlier today, there is an article on how to be more productive in the post-pandemic world. I am hosting a longtime friend, Diane Ryan, a retired Army colonel and a leadership development expert at West Point on an upcoming podcast and live stream. There are interesting folks sharing uh, really gender equality questions and challenges. There is, I shared a unique insights about the Persian New Year. So a lot of great content where companies go wrong with learning and development. Here's a poll question on how are you thinking about planning for or leading differently in your business or role in the post-COVID world. So we're up to about a thousand folks, all professionals, all from all around the world, really talking a lot about their relationship challenges and opportunities, how do we effectively communicate, how do we really learn more, learn it faster, and apply those to solve challenges and opportunities. So I hope you come join us at norgroup.com slash forum. That's n-o-u-r group.com slash forum.
Welcome back to another episode of the Curvebenders Podcast. I'm elated today to be joined by Stuart Craner and Des Dearlove, the founders of Thinkers50. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Nice to be with you. Yes, yeah, very good to be with you. It is great to have you both. So, Stuart, let me ask you, for those that may have never heard of Thinkers50, could you, let's start with your own background and then a little about vision for Thinkers50 would be great before we go to Des. Yeah, I mean, our, our background is actually very similar, Des, Des and I. We both started life as business journalists, so we spent a long time writing about business. We wrote a column in the Times of London, wrote for publications around the world, and through that we started writing business books, and then we started helping other people write business books. And, and through that, what we realized was that there's an awful lot of stuff out there for business people to read. Hardly a day went by without a book arriving on our desk from somebody somebody had written and another book by a consultant, another book by a business school academic. And so we could see the problem. There was just a deluge of information and publications. And we felt sorry, actually, for the the, the managers and the, the curious managers and the curious CEOs we, we encountered who really wanted to a filter to figure out what the good stuff was. And that's where the idea of the, the Thinkers 50 came from. The Thinkers 50 was a, it started off life solely as a ranking of the world's leading management thinkers. And our aim in with that was to actually make sense of the world of business ideas, the deluge of books, the deluge of conferences, magazines, information, to say to people, this is the good stuff. So, Des, why do you believe, a little about your background, and then why do you believe there was such a void? Because, again, business books have been around for a long time, and and I agree with with you know, Stuart's assertion that there just seems to be a plethora of, of options. Why do you, you know, a little about your background and why do you believe there was such a void? Yeah. So as Stuart said, you know, we, we were both business journalists and we, we gradually started working more and more together. So what we realized was we were writing for publications like the Times of London. We, we, we edited the Financial Times Handbook of Management together. So we were being drawn into this world of ideas. But you have to remember back then that there was a real skepticism particularly among the media, about management fads and fashions. This was the era of business process re-engineering, you know, the Jim Champy and Michael Hammer book, which sadly, because I don't think it was the intent on their part, but it, it quickly became a euphemism for downsizing and white collar job cuts. So there was a real suspicion. And I, I, mean, I remember the pushback from my editor at the Times just saying, you know, this is all smoke and mirrors. So to some extent, we were professional skeptics at the time. And, and we, we thought, we felt that the world of practicing managers deserved some sort of a filter. So we set ourselves up to be a consumer guide. And that's really where the, the original thought for the Thinkers 50 came from. But I think, you know, we were genuinely surprised by two things. One was the level of interest that it generated. So the ranking appeared on the front page of a UK national newspaper. And I think the other thing that surprised us from the first ranking was because of the sort of the skepticism, we included Dilbert. You remember Dilbert and the Scott Adams cartoon character? We included him in the first ranking and Scott Adams actually blogged about it and it melted down our website because so many people came to, to look at this post that it melted our website down. So suddenly we, we realized we were onto something that people seem to care about. So, Stuart, anytime someone says ranking, I think the the intelligent mind goes to, okay, how, how did that, what was their criteria? How did they come up with this? Talk about how you and Des began this journey. I mean, again, I, I read a fascinating data point that something like 3,000 business books are published every month. 
how do you begin? Where do you start? How do you begin to think about, you know, who do we want to include? Talk a little about your methodology or approach to ranking. Yeah. So the first Thinkers 50 was in 2001 and we've added to that. So now we publish four lists in all and and they all have slightly different criteria. The original Thinkers 50 ranking is uh, comes out every two years and that's of the most influential living management thinkers. Uh, then in 2011, we added the Thinkers 50 Distinguished Achievement Awards in eight categories, leadership, innovation, strategy, digital thinking, breakthrough ideas, etc. The Financial Times described them as the Oscars of management thinking, very, very helpfully. We also published the Thinkers 50 Radar List, which comes out every January. That's kind of up-and-coming up thinkers. And we also have established the Thinkers 50 Hall of Fame to honour the achievement and legacy of the people who have made a, a lasting impact in the field. For the ranking itself and, and, and the other rankings, they're, they're not just popularity con- contests, though people can, can vote and nominate people. The Thinkers 50 ranking has 10 criteria split across two dimensions or, or axes. The first one is viability, which is made up of rigor, relevance, reach, and resilience. And the second axis is visibility, influence, media profile, presence, affiliations, community, and tools and techniques. So something like influence is measured by the number of citations and how people fare in, in social media. Actually, since we've been doing the, the ranking over the last 20 years, it's actually become a, a lot easier to come up with a methodology and develop methodology for, for ranking people. It's, and it's, it is really interesting because often there's, there's a gulf between, say, somebody might have academic credibility, but not credibility among practitioners. So it's, very, it's a very interesting process. Des, I've been, I've attended the, the last two, I think November of 17 and, and November of 19. Was the vision always to have a day of programming followed by the gala? Because I, I love the format, love, and I was talking to, you know, others that have attended to sit with, you know, thinkers that you've admired, you've read, a, you know, you've read their work, you follow their work and, and really engage and discuss that, whether it's Amy Edmondson or Roger Martin or Hal Gregerson or, you know, Marshall Goldsmith and, and, and company. Talk about the format. Where was the vision for the format come from and, and your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, you know, as we've said, originally the, the idea was that it was a ranking. It was a, it was, you know, very much a published vehicle to, to act as a consumer guide. But in 2011, when we added the Distinguished Achievement Awards, we also, for the first time, convened the group. And I think at that moment, we began to realize that, that something was afoot in the thought leadership world because it sort of transformed almost in one evening from a ranking into a community. And we, we realized that, that something was going on here. And we, we seem to have tapped into some energy in the sort of thought leadership world. And we've stuck with that format. So every two years, we have this fantastic party gala where we come together during the daytime. We like to say it's sort of Davos during the daytime with you know high level discussion and thought about the latest management ideas. And then it's the Oscars in the evening when we, you know, everyone gets dressed up and, and we present the awards. But I think you're right. I think that the real buzz is the fact that you're, you know, you're in the room with Henry Mintzberg or you're, you're in the room with Clay Christensen or someone of that sort of ilk. And you can, you can, they're very open and very accessible. You can just walk over and have a chat with them. These people that perhaps, you know, you studied in graduate school or, or you've been reading their books for years. I think people really appreciate that opportunity to rub shoulders. So I think that took us to a different place. And I think even now we're, we're really aware that it's kind of a movement, I think. I think we, we've kind of, it's, it's a sort of industry party for the thought leadership industry. 
Uh, Stuart, you guys recently launched a fascinating concept of the Business Ecosystem Alliance. Talk about where that vision came from and what's your what do you expect to get from it? What have you accomplished in gathering some some brilliant minds around ecosystems and relationships and and really kind of a unique lens into the evolution of the organization? Well, I think the last few years, the emphasis in in, in the world of business ideas has been on technology. Obviously, technology is incredibly sexy and there's a, there's a lot of money surrounding technology. So it's a, a riveting area and it's having a huge influence. And I think over the next decade, what we're going to see is the emergence of truly 21st century organizations, organizations w- which combine the best, very best of technology, but also the very best of humanity. And I think ecosystems is a a really interesting way of looking at organizations. So instead of being linear creations, multifaceted kind of network creations built around ecosystems. And our interest in ecosystems was prompted by some work we did with the Chinese company Hire, who are the biggest white goods manufacturer in the world. They, they bought GE appliances a, a few years ago. Really interesting company. And it's, it's pretty amazing. We, we end up after 20 years holding up a Chinese company as an exemplar of a management practice. But one of their big things is they, they champion ecosystems internally and externally. So life within hire is built around a kind of series of very complicated relationships to the outsider with people inside and outside the organization. So I think ecosystems are a really interesting way of thinking about organization. I think that's the way we're going to have to think about organizations in the future. I mean, I think the reality is actually organizations, organizations have always been ecosystems. But if we think of them in that way, it, it changes the way we manage our relationships. So we've partnered with Hire in the creation of the Business Ecosystem Alliance. We had a two-day event a few weeks ago featuring some of the world's leading thinkers and some practitioners talking about the reality of ecosystems. And what's really, what I find really interesting about ecosystems is that they're very vague and ambiguous. I think in the past, organizations were very black and white in the way they were organized and the way they worked. And I think we're moving in the future, it'll be much more, many more gray areas and a lot of vagueness, a lot of ambiguity. And the challenge for managers and senior managers in particular will be their ability to manage that sort of grayness and ambiguity. So what's your hope? What's your aspiration out of the Business Ecosystem Alliance? My hope is that it increases people's understanding of how ecosystems work in practice. I mean, I think with all these ideas, all the stuff we champion through the Thinkers 50, what we're really interested in is having an impact in in reality. And the people we champion on the Thinkers 50 are people who have a a direct impact on how organizations behave. So you think of the people who are number one at the moment in our ranking are Chang Kim and Rennie Mo Byrne, who are the authors of Blue Ocean Strategy. Whatever you think about Blue Ocean Strategy as an idea, it's had a huge impact on on reality. Organizations have put it to work. And I think that's what's really important for us. And so something like the Business Ecosystem Alliance, we don't see it as a kind of talking shop about business ecosystems. We think of it as a way of sharing best practice so there's greater understanding and so people can put the ideas to work. Uh, Des, the other fascinating thing I'd recall from physically being at the event in London was you guys also publish really important titles that may not necessarily fit conventional commercial publishing world. I distinctly remember, you know, transforming beyond the crisis and government reimagined. And 
Talk a little about the publishing side and, and, and your partnership, I guess, with Brightline. And what are you trying to do on the, on the publishing side? We've been involved with books for a very long time. And I think, I think a lot of people, business writers, possibly yourself, have an experience of publishing, which it, it's, it's a curious one because it's, it's, it's a very traditional industry and it's still very ponderous and very slow moving. What we've tried to do is develop a publishing model. We call it lean publishing, which is, which moves a bit more rapidly. So we bring our editorial skills to bear on, on a manuscript to move it through the processes much quicker. Cause often a, someone's got a book and it's, it's really important. The timing is really critical. It needs to be out in the marketplace in the next six months. But, you know, in a traditional publishing model, it can take 18 months. It can take, it, it can take forever. I don't know what they do with the manuscripts, but so we've, we've introduced this concept of lean publishing. And we also identified that there are certain books which deserve to be published, but the publishers struggle with because they don't fit into a neat pigeonhole. So this all started, we, we worked with the first marketing director of the International Olympics Committee, and he'd written a book all about the turnaround of the Olympic Games. Because I, I, I'm sure most people don't remember back in the bad days when there wasn't a city in the world that wanted to host the Olympics. It was, you know, it was just considered to be an expensive liability. And of course, they've, they've, that's been transformed, that's turned around. So he was telling that story. But when we approached publishers, they didn't know whether it was a business book or a book about sport, so they wouldn't publish it. So that was our sort of first move into publishing. And we published that book and we've gone on, we, we published books that possibly otherwise wouldn't fit the normal portfolio of, of your traditional publishers. So I think we, we fill a gap in the market. And um, I think speed to market and also recognizing there are books which, which merit publication, even if you don't know which shelf they belong on. Starting to see a trend here of the two of you see these voids in the market. And what I love is you move quickly to identify an opportunity and get get a concept out the door. So I can't I can't wait to see what else you guys are up to. Let's talk about steward trends. We're now 14 plus months into this global pandemic. US, UK, rest of the world have gone through a series of shutdowns. You know, it's no surprise to certainly our audience that is impacted not just the way we work, but also the way we live and play and give and travel and so on and so forth. What are my question of you is in your conversations, in your due diligence about those impactful, and I love that the two by two matrix of visibility and, and, and viability. What are some of the trends you believe are going to stay with us in the post pandemic world? What's going to have material impact on thinkers, on doers, on impactful ideas? I mean, I think the two things that emerged from the pandemic very clearly is that there's a premium on agility, uh, which is which is fairly obvious. But it's really impressive, I think, how organisations and individuals have responded to it. I mean, you would have thought, given the the lockdowns we've had in in the UK and and elsewhere, that our economies our economies would have been virtually wiped out, but but they haven't been. I mean, even now in the UK where things are opening up currently, but there's still quite a lot of restrictions for, for a lot of businesses, but things are carrying on. So it's really is testament to how agile organizations can be and how agile individuals can be and responsive. So I think that's the good news. And I think companies that have behaved with generosity of spirit to their customers and to their employees have come to the fore. And people will remember the ones who didn't act in that way. So obviously, as you suggest, I think that the future is going to be different. But I think it's accelerated changes that were underway anyway. And I think the emergence of truly 21st century organizations 
is hopefully what we're going to see in the next few years. I mentioned ecosystems, but I also see that organizations are going to truly embrace diversity as never before. I think organizations in the past have paid lip service to it, but I think it's become clear that they need to engage with it fully and have truly diverse workforces. And I think the role of employees is also being recalibrated. Uh, one of the people we, we celebrate in the Fingers 50 Radar this year was somebody called Ben Witter, who is championing the employee experience. And I think there's a, a changing, the changing role of employees is going to be really important. And there's a lot of talk about employees as activists. I know Megan Rates from Ashridge Holt Business School talks about uh, employee activism. So I think that's, that, that, that's really, really different interpretation of the role of employees. And they don't really fit in uh, traditional organizations. So I think we're going to see significant changes in the way that organizations are run and, and managed, hopefully, in the next few years. Daz, let me give you the same opportunity, some trends that are top of mind for you that you believe are going to have a profound impact or lasting impact on the way we work, live, play and give to others. The interface between technology and humanity, I know we've touched on it, but that's going to be critical. I think a lot of people are either, people are in two camps. There are people who are nervous of technology because they're going to lose that. They think the robots are going to take their jobs. I'm an AI and all that stuff. And then I think there are people who are, you know, absolutely in the thrall of technology. But of course, technology is just a tool. So I think ideas that offer real insights about us as human beings are hugely interest of huge interest. Ben Pring from Cognizant, who was on radar, I think, a couple of years ago, he talks about not being a bad robot. There's no, there's no point in trying to compete head on with the technology. So how do we leverage our humanity? And I think part of that is, is which, and it makes me hopeful, is that I think we are moving away from the 20th century paradigm of seeing people as human resources. You know, this, this notion of, of seeing people as cogs in the machine. So I think the future is only going to be about looking through a human lens. It's going to be about creativity rather than efficiency. Let the technology and the robots do the efficiency, and we should stick to what we're best at as human beings, which, which hopefully is creativity. We were lucky to spend some time with Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, when he was working on his book with Erin Meyer, who again is a, a sort of a graduate of our Thinkers 50 radar class. And, and Reed's thing, he took his two kind of maxims. He talks about he says, em employee freedom breeds innovation and process kills flexibility. And I think the 20th century was all about efficiency and zero defects. And I think the 21st century is all going to be about agility and flexibility and creativity. And what higher talk about zero distance, collapsing the distance between the consumer and the producer and the entrepreneur. So, you know, that, they're the sort of areas I get excited about. We were talking to Laura Morgan Roberts from Darden Business School at the University of Virginia yesterday on our LinkedIn Live show. And she was talking about justice. For the first time, I'm hearing people talking about justice as a business imperative, not the business case for diversity, but actual social justice and the contribution that women of color have to make. So, um, you know, this is, this is to me, to my ears, this is very exciting. I think, you know, we, we may finally be turning a corner. Your own work on relationship economics and curve benders. I mean, again, it's, it's the human side of the equation. I think, you know, that's where the real interest is. Des, I'm a hugger and post-vaccination. Remind me to give you a big hug the next time we visit. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that shout out. Stuart, let's talk about you. An interesting conversation you know I've had is I'm fascinated by a number of the theoretical constructs that are coming from 
some of the thinkers, 50 members in, in these incredibly prestigious uh, academic institutions. I'm fascinated by the connection between those constructs and applications of those ideas to create the impact you brought up. So have you thought about this idea of a doer's 50, right? So who are the organizational leaders who not just read those books, read those HBR articles or Sloan articles and conceptually get it, but really have the courage and the confidence to take those ideas and go implement to really create enterprise value. Talk about that connection from conceptual frameworks to applications and implementation. Well, for many, it's, it's too big a, a gulf, I think. I'm, I'm always struck by how few uh, CEOs and senior business people we encounter who actually are interested or, or curious about the latest management thinking, latest management tools. It, it always staggers me that so many of them are so lacking in interest. You would have thought uh, you'd be quite interested in changing business models or new ideas about leadership if, if you were a CEO. And, and they'll say, well, we haven't got enough time. But you have to make the time for, for new ideas like that. I, as, as we said, what we're really interested in is thinkers who bridge the gap between ideas and practice. So somebody like Roger Martin worked with AJ, AJ Laffley at uh, Procter & Gamble for many years. So that's a direct input from the, the thinker to actually making stuff happen. Roger's gone on to work with, with Lego as well. Chan Kim and Rennie Mo Byrne, I went to an amazing conference in Malaysia featuring their work. And there were just example after example of how the government of Malaysia, amongst many other institutions, were putting the ideas to work. I mean, they refought the, uh, the prison system in Malaysia on blue ocean principles. So I think that's really interesting. I think the changes in all these things are actually led at the margins. We have an Ideas into Practice Award. And when we look for people to shortlist for and organizations to shortlist, it, it, it's much easier to find examples from smaller and medium-sized organizations than, than it is from large organizations. So, for instance, our, our winner last time was Joost Block from Dutch CEO of an organization called Bootsorg, which is really innovative teamworking model. And so I, I think amongst big corporations, there aren't really many examples of corporations really taking ideas and changing the way they, they, they manage and organize themselves. Des, let me give you a chance to build on that. What do you believe has to happen for those CEOs that Stuart mentioned to make the time to embrace beyond their, their core business, beyond their perfect execution box today, for them to embrace more new, interesting perspectives and, and really create the environment to test some of these ideas more proactively? I think it, pressure of time is is a hard thing, but of course that's being driven by the you know the the need for quarterly reports and the need to talk, to always pander to Wall Street and to the markets. You know we know there've been some some leaders, some CEOs who who tried at least tried to mitigate or, or or question that direct linkage, and I think that will continue. I think that's a, that's a trend that we're, we're moving away. You know the, the the days of purely worshiping shareholder value. I think. I think we know we're stepping away from that. Again, that's something else that gives me hope. But I think as that in that process, people will be open to tools, techniques, ideas that allow them to be more competitive. And by that, I mean to be more flexible and more agile rather than just chasing financial efficiency and chasing shareholder returns and shareholder value. If, you, if you'd asked me even three or four years ago, I would have been much more skeptical about it. But I, I, I see definite signs that 
perhaps the pandemic has, if it's served one useful purpose, it's been a bit of a reset, a reset of priorities. So yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic. For our audience, if you've joined us late, you've been listening to Stuart Craner and Des Dearlove, the co-founders of Thinkers 50, preeminent global community of thinkers and, and really impactful management and leadership ideas. Guys, as long as I've known you, you've been a yin and a yang, very complimentary style and thinking and, and approach to this and, and a big, you know, obviously supporter, advocate, partners. I'm looking for something a little more fun. So I'm going to give you a choice, either a fun, interesting story about your counterpart, or if you want to play it a little more safer, you're welcome to also talk about what you've done for fun during this pandemic and what are you most looking forward to on the other side of it. So Des, I'm going to go, I'm going to start with you on this time. <laughs> remember this is a, remember this is a pg rated show so. <laughs> well des will just recycle the story about uh, me having a spanish flag painted on my face in, in, in a bar whilst we were watching the world cup at, soccer, soccer at, world cup game. for our audience for our audience i've offered des you know cash for that image Stuart is such a buttoned down polished gentleman that you know that image alone on a t-shirt i think would sell incredibly well but des go ahead I mean, you know, sticking with the football theme, another, another highlight was we were, we were, we'd been asked to speak at a conference in Turkey and there were thousands of people. It was a huge venue and we, we were kind of, it was, a, it was a few years ago. We hadn't really prepared very much. So when we realized the scale of the, of the challenge and how many people were there, and it was in simultaneous translation, by the way. So they all had headsets on. Stuart had this brilliant idea about three minutes before we went on that we should reenact the Champions League final when, when Manchester United came back from, you know, losing to score two goals in the last seconds of the, the dying seconds of the game. And he, he thought this was a brilliant example of, I don't even know what it was, but, it, but it, I was so desperate that I bought this idea. So we reenacted this moment from the, from the history of Manchester United. What we didn't realize was that the lights on the, we, we went off stage to do it. So, so what people actually saw was two English guys climb down from the stage, disappear into the shadows, and then they heard some strange commentary from one of them, and they couldn't see a thing of what we were doing. So it, they were just bemused. They were completely bemused. I remember walking off afterwards and saying, well, next time you have a great idea, keep it to yourself. <laughs> All right, Stuart, your, your, your turn. I think we've had many farcical highlights throughout our time working together. I remember we taught at an Ivy League university in the States and we did a session on communication for leaders. And we were in a, in a bar afterwards because it was quite stressful talking about leadership to a, all these high profile uh, people. And we were in a bar afterwards and had a, num had a number of drinks to, to celebrate. And we were talking to this couple and they were having a drink with us and they just dropped off their, their offspring at, uh, this very prestigious educational institution and they said well, what are you doing here and we said well we, we're teaching them leadership and there was a very there was a very long surprise <laughs> uh, is it too late to uh, transfer our kid to another university <laughs> <laughs> so thank you both for your friendship for certainly your support of of my ideas with this latest class of 2021 radar recognition and joking aside for i think the community you've built to bring truly incredible global thinkers together to share ideas and perspectives and really talk about the impact they're having in the world. What's the best way for our audience to learn more about you and, and get involved with Thinkers 50? Stuart? Uh, just check out thinkers50.com. All the information about contacting us, taking part, nominating thinkers, lots of information, lots of, lots of content. It's all there.
For our audience, Stuart and Des have also agreed to be my guest today on LinkedIn Live at noon Eastern. So I hope you'll come join us and ask questions about their thinking, about the interesting perspectives they come across. On behalf of our audience, Des Dearlove, Stuart Craner, thank you for being our guest on the Curvebenders podcast. Entirely our pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. By the way, three quick points, new season and a renewed commitment to our digital footprint, blog, newsletter, social media. We turn the show notes from these podcasts into more in-depth articles, so you can find those in our completely revamped new blog forthcoming at norgroup.com slash blog. Number two, we're completely revamping our newsletter to make them even more practical and relevant with both a free and a premium version. Check it out at norgroup.com slash newsletter. Lastly, we want to bring the content from these episodes to life. So whether it's a Twitter chat with a guest or live streaming through our Facebook and YouTube channels, or even more recently, a Clubhouse audio conversation, check out our various social media channels with the hashtag Curvebenders for the latest update. I hope you enjoyed that interview with uh, Des Dearlove and Stuart Craner. Uh, talk about you know visionary guys who, in their journalism days and editing of management thinking, saw a fundamental market need and what an incredible job they've done in the last twenty years in really building Thinkers Fifty into a globally prominent community of management thought and practice leadership. So this is the NOR summary notes. Hopefully in three minutes or less, I can summarize the conversation uh, for you and hopefully get you to think about uh, some of these ideas. Uh, Number one, uh, I deeply believe in this idea of theoretical constructs. And if you look at and get involved with Thinkers 50, you can certainly purchase a ticket and come join the event you know every other two every two years in november uh it it is where global management thinking gathers and i think uh, we all need to embrace more of these theoretical constructs more of these frameworks uh, and there's some brilliant ideas coming out of number of academic institutions of members who are involved within and around the thinkers 50 uh community number two uh, I, am, I was really surprised by uh, Stewart's comment that more senior leaders, uh, you know, were busy. I, I get it. Operators running their business, but you cannot uh, go dark. You cannot just put your head in the sand and say, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. Uh, my dad drove into me that leaders are readers and readers are leaders. If I translate that in the 21st century version, it's really not just what you read, but become a proactive learner. By that, I mean, what does this author say? What do they mean? What does it mean to me and my business and my department function, PL organization industry? And if you read some of the work by Roger Martin, if you read A Power of Questions by Hal Gregerson, if you read Fearless Organization and about psychological safety by Amy Edmondson, just to name a few. And and again, there's there's 47 other people on that list that are producing some incredible work. The corporate rebels guys are doing really interesting stuff. Uh, some number of my previous uh, curve vendors guests have created some really fascinating work. So making the time, 
to embrace these ideas more proactively thinking about how they apply to your world, I think goes a long way. The, the third one that, that Stuart really uh, brought up that resonated with me was this whole business ecosystem alliance and uh, hire uh, the Chinese firm that bought GE uh, Appliance really is building and has built a very successful business around this idea of micro enterprises and around this idea of ecosystems, living, thriving uh, communities of uh, accountability and entrepreneurship. And it's just a, it's just a, I've, I've been immersing myself with a company called Boundaryless. And Simona was one of my, their founder and CEO, one of my past guests into their whole masterclass and ecosystem design platform thinking. And, and it's just, I absolutely believe it will, it has the potential and the promise to disrupt a lot of antiquated business models. So I hope you'll look more into Thinkers 50. Again, join us today at noon Eastern. Uh, I'm going to have Des and Stuart on LinkedIn Live. We'll also be live on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and jump in with your questions, with your comments and uh, learn more about their vision, what they're seeing, what they're hearing in terms of market trends, in terms of great thought and uh, practice leaders that are part of this part of this community. I'm so grateful for all of our listeners on the Curve Vendors podcast. I'd love to hear from you with ideas, with suggestions, with guests you'd love to hear from at this intersection of future of work, strategic relationships, and nonlinear growth. You can simply email podcast at norgroup.com or follow us on various social media channels where I use the hashtag Curve Vendors to keep you posted on our latest progress.